Hello there, and welcome back to The Human Exception. My name is Kayla, and I am one of your hosts. Today, we're doing the first part of our Christmas special. Hallie will be kicking us off by teaching us about the winter solstice and other such traditions celebrated all over the world. Next, I'll be taking you all the way to Wales, where a rapidly re-emerging custom of horse skulls, rap battles, food, and merriment is taking hold. In this episode, beware of foul language, and really, that's all. It's time to get wholesome. Push the button now. Push the button now. Okay. Quick. Button has been pushed. We're good. We're good. We're good. Hey. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And whatever other holidays y'all celebrate. So in case you haven't guessed it, this is going to be our Christmas episode where we will not really be talking much about Christmas, but a lot of other stuff. Oh, so the inspired Christmas, the prequel to Christmas. The prequel, the pre, the, the, the preakmas, the, um, shit, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Pre, pre Yuletide, something, 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 something something that involves pine (laughs) trees and candles and giving gifts. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That bastardized holiday that we all celebrate. (laughs) It's so funny just how, like, Christians and stuff are in such denial of how much of a pagan holiday that this is. Like, bring a tree into your house, make wreaths, (laughs) and, like, yeah. With thieves. Stealing the best stuff and then claiming you put what's it what's that Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, yeah, let's go j- for Easter. Like, let's go chase some eggs for Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, pagan. Like, <laughs> yeah. Good God. But it, I mean, like, it made sense if you were if you were trying to be this next big religion. You, well, yeah, the big religion it would make sense that you would try and adopt certain things that would make people feel comfortable to leave their religion to come to yours. Right. Yeah. Like they've got got spires and obelisks with the, which they clearly stole from the Egyptians and, and other, uh, and other cultures. But it was like, Oh no, we have those too. Come over here. We've got more candy. Yeah. <laughs> and we won't kill you if you join us. Right. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. I don't want to talk about the Crusades. Let's not. <laughs> you have 100 years? That's another episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a whole other. Like, we Bang. should do Crusades, Templars. Fucking, yeah. like, witch trials? <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, that's, oh yep. there's a trifecta. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the witch trials in Europe were brutal. Just fucking brutal. I'm really excited to get into that topic and not 
because I'm a terrible person, but just because I like to know things. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the torture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for now, let's get into the Christmas. <laughs> or pre-Christmas. Or pre-Christmas. Or pre-Christmas. Um, I think, Hal, you're going first this time, aren't you? I do believe so. Um, I just about called you eggs. <laughs> I would have, I, I answered you either. Um, <laughs> uh, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I have to acknowledge that she is part of me and I am part of her. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that I decided to do since we were doing things circular to christmas or things that cir- like kind of circulate around it uh was the winter solstice because that'll be coming up here in about three weeks um and i went uh, first looking for some kind of uh like cool quote or or a piece of literature maybe that talked about like winter and a lot of it was like winter is the time of year like an instagram quote and i'm like no 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 no, we don't do this uh so of course i landed back with shakespeare (laughs) because (laughs) if anyone was able to capture uh the, the bleakness of the season i do believe he or they or she covered in a previous episode (laughs) (laughs) was able to do so um so thought i would read you this just a little bit it's from uh king henry part two uh act two scene four um and and always with shakespeare it also goes back to bleakness barrenness and somehow sex all at the same time uh so that's fun that's a trifecta (laughs) yep 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 yep, that seems like it works because we still perform these plays (laughs) Barren winter with his wrathful nipping cold, the icy fang and churlish chiding of the winter's wind, bites and blows down upon my body. I shrink with cold, what freezings I have felt, what dark days seem, what old December December's barrenness everywhere. So that's fun. So heartwarming. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I know, right? I feel just so loved after reading this. <laughs> So the the winter solstice, I didn't also realize that it's called the hibernal solstice. So Ooh. or midwinter. Whatever you want. Um, you know, because of course it's it's different in the hemispheres as far as what the weather is doing right now. It's quite cold here. A little warmer in the south. My it's Australian, summer in Australia. Yep, mm-hmm. my, my Australian friends are not happy with how hot it is down there. Uh, like, no, this is real bad right now. That's, the emus getting revenge. The emus are getting revenge. This is true. <laughs> it always ties back to Shakespeare and the emus. <laughs> Actually, Shakespeare and the emus is a great fucking band name. Yes. Yep. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. We should let Nat, we should let Jack know in case they ever decide a new band name. <laughs> in case they need to right change their, their name, uh, uh, a la mouse rat and just change it over and over. And over yes. <laughs> We're totally watching parks and rec right yeah. now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So um, the, uh, the winter solstice is usually seen as the middle of winter. At least it was, but in our, the way our calendars work now, it's seen as the beginning of winter. Um, and the meteorology winter is reckoned as the beginning, as beginning about three weeks before the winter solstice, which would be all right now. So that's where we're at. (laughs) 
Um, it has a very long history in the ancient and prehistoric times. It was seen as a significant time of year in cultures all over the world and still is. Uh, it's marked by festivals and rituals. They still hold big festivals at Stonehenge, so which I think would be real cool to go to. Totes. I have never been there, but I would want to go on the winter solstice. And we'll talk about the celebration that happened last year at Stonehenge uh, in a little bit. Um, so let's first talk about the big festival of the ancient world. The only way that you can party down and it's with ancient Rome and a thing called Saturnalia. So, <laughs> yes. Oh, those Romans. They knew how to go all out in one day. So it was a one-day festival. <laughs> cram everything in. <laughs> cram everything in. It started out as one day and eventually turned into a week-long party. As 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 one one does. I know. I was so excited about this because I'm like, I know a little bit about it, but I didn't realize it went from a day to a week. And it's like, oh, so y'all just didn't do anything. Like the civilization shut down for a week. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, The all of the social norms and the hierarchies completely fell away. Everyone gambled shoulder to shoulder next to each other. Everyone drank. Everyone ate way too much. Uh, Even slaves in Roman culture got to partake in the festivities. They weren't uh, forced to work. And uh, some masters even got it into their heads that it should be their turn to serve their slaves. Interesting. I know. (laughs) It's a little taken aback by this. Yeah, that's Um, interesting. It it was, uh, that's a weird, that's weird. Um, Yeah. This feels like one of those hey, I'm I'm a more progressive slave owner who actually maybe doesn't treat my slave like a slave, but more like a... It's a oh whole... They were part of our family. They're part of our family. They're like a live-in. They're like, they we do everything, obviously. Like once but... a year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> we appreciate the work, so once a year for a whole week, we're taking care of you. So uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. But I have slave friends. <laughs> but I, yeah. Oh, Jesus, Kayla. Come on. <laughs> my God. Uh, no, but it's true. Stop. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, this was a party that lasted from December 17th to the 24th. We are already seeing the uh, similarities here because it involves a certain day before what we would now call Christmas, and they hung things like greenery and wreaths, and they shed their traditional togas in favor of more colorful clothes. Uh, So if there ever was an ugly Christmas sweater, um, it started with the Roman togas. (laughs) I don't know. Yes. Toga party. Toga party. Oh boy. Uh, and, and by its name, this was the pagan celebration of Saturn, who was the Roman god of architecture and time. Um, and it, when this uh, ce- yeah, celebration expanded in the late Republic, so it would have been 133 to 131 BC, um, that's when they started to be like, you know what, maybe we should go from a day to a week. There's just a week-long party. Uh, everything closed. 
Um, no work, no business, no school, no court was open. Everyone started drinking and singing and playing music and giving gifts. Um, one of the common gifts that I thought was actually kind of cool, which were wax taper candles. And yes, oh. you would you would give these and they were to signify light returning after the solstice. And given how prevalent mm -hmm. candles are in the modern Christmas celebration, I was like, ah, okay. I'm seeing more parallels. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Carolers have candles or lanterns. Yeah. Um, and lots of other things. Um, and, and we don't really think about that now, but I was like, oh, okay. All right. Um, what I thought also was really hilarious was that this party got to be so raucous as any good Roman party does, uh, that it was described as both the best of times and also, don't say the worst of times because that's not it, uh, that the the more cantankerous <laughs> of Roman society, like Pliny the Elder, uh, reportedly built soundproof rooms so that they could work during the celebrations and not be interrupted. Oh Pliny the Elder! How <laughs> <laughs> oh, that lovely, grouchy medical dude... <laughs> Who yeah. medical, medical. Thought, I don't know, ox brains would cure your defects. I don't know. Um, oh boy. Uh interesting guy. That's another That's episode. another episode. Oh my gosh. Weird medical cures and ancient Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a good one. Um, so between the candles and the greenery and the partying and the food and everyone overindulging. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, parallels to a modern Christmas celebration. Um, but unfortunately, by the end of the fourth century, a lot of those traditions had become absorbed by the traditions of Christmas as we know them now. Um, and at this time, even as Saturnalia started to wane in Roman society before the fall of it completely, pagans and Christians did manage to coexist, although not always, you know, <clears throat> super happily. And there was um, a, a move in the 4th century AD by Western Christian churches who decided that they were going to settle on celebrating Christmas on December 25th, which let them start yanking traditions from the other pagan holidays like Saturnalia and uh, yoink them into their own celebrations. So we start to see the blending of these two, and then the overtaking of Christianity. I would go to a Saturnalia party. If anyone has an invite in less COVID times, I will go. I think that'd be <laughs> fun. Do it. Do it ancient world yeah, style. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Let's mix it up. <laughs> yeah, let's all just get drunk and fat for a week. I was going to say, what's it. wrong with that? There's literally nothing wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> But there's only one. Uh, I looked around for some other interesting celebrations. Some of them are still ongoing uh, in their own ways in the modern world. But I did want to point out one that I don't know if y'all are familiar with that's kind of in your backyard. So there is a winter solstice what? lantern festival in Vancouver. I've okay. heard of this. I've never been. Uh, I was curious because I was like, what is this? It's uh, it was created by Vancouver's Secret Lantern Society. And you can. Uh, yep. Amazing. I was like, what's this? There's 
almost nothing on their website to tell you what it's about. I was like, oh my God, do I need like a passcode to get in the door? What's going on here? Why are the lanterns secret? Oh yeah, they were doing the the Chinese lan- oh, they were doing the Chinese lantern festival last year. Yeah. Uh, That's what okay. I saw. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's uh it, it's interesting. I think this it one's is. probably different. Yes. So it is on the solstice. You go to workshops to create your lantern, and then on the night of the solstice, there's big processions that go through the city and they culminate in fire performances by, you know, people who breathe fire and shit like that. Uh Yep, that's baller. If I were brave, I would like to learn how to do that, but I'm deathly scared that I would just burn my eyebrows off um, or something way worse. And they also have this thing called the Labyrinth of Light, which is a maze of 600 candles that lets you go through. Yeah! Oh, you haven't heard about this? I've wanted to do this and I've just never gotten around (laughs) Uh... to it. Yeah, it's so, so cool. The pictures were really cool. So that one's in your in your backyard as far as winter solstice celebrations go. Well, sometime we should leave the house and do that. <laughs> yeah, not this year. <laughs> no, no, not, not this year. But it sounds like fun. Like I would be really tempted to come up and see y'all. Yeah, that's Hell a reason yeah. for you to come visit. <laughs> I don't need another reason. I don't need a reason. I just want to. Like, Other than getting your cat interred by oh the cat. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't handle that. Uh, Jeremy had a real... He, he kind of got like squicked out by that. <laughs> he was like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> We've actually become friends. We've been like pen paling ever since. So she's like, oh, we should go for a walk at the cemetery by your house sometime. <laughs> This is this life is life now. now. <laughs> there are weirder things. Uh, so there's more from across the world. So I pulled out some ones that were really interesting. There's Saint Lucia's Day. I feel like that one might be more familiar to some folks. It's the Festival of Lights in Scandinavia, which honors Saint Lucia, who was one of the earliest Christian martyrs. Um, but this celebration was actually incorporated with earlier Norse solstice traditions after a lot of the Norsemen converted to Christianity around 1000 AD. So the story goes uh, that according to the old Julian calendar, December 13th, uh, which is when the Romans killed Lucia for bringing food to persecuted Christians hiding in Rome, was also at the time the shortest day of the year. And Lucia became a symbol of light, and her and her feast day blended naturally with the solstice traditions, such as lighting fires to scare away spirits during the longest, darkest night of the year. So in modern St. Lucia Day uh, celebrations, the girls in Scandinavia wear white dresses with red sashes, and they wear wreaths of candles on their head. I feel like everyone's seen those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. That's and amazing. those candles are meant as an homage to the candles that Lucia wore on her head to light her way as she carried the forbidden food in her arms. Uh, good old Christianity, killing people that are giving food to uh, other people. You know, it's just like, <laughs> feed the poor, kill people. Which one do I, hmm, which, which one do I do here? Which one is correct? Which is the bigger sin? Oh, let's, let's do, do that one. That. I like that one <laughs> over there. Oh my god! 
Uh, in Peru, there is a celebration known as Inti Raimi. And so this would be when the winter solstice is celebrated in June. And it means sun festival. So it takes place on the solstice. It's dedicated to honoring Inti, who is the sun god. And uh, before the Spanish conquest, the Incas fasted for three days before the solstice. And then on dawn on the fourth day, they would go to this big ceremonial plaza and wait for the sunrise. And then when the sunrise started to crest over the horizon, they would offer golden cups of uh, chicha. I hope I'm saying that correctly, which was a sacred beer made from fermented corn. And then uh, animals were sacrificed during the ceremony. And then interestingly enough, because it seems like it always comes back to fire, the Incas would use mirrors to focus the sun's rays and start fires all around the plaza. Death rays. Yes. Huh. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty sweet. Just death rays. <laughs> uh, I love that. So there's that one. Um, there is a celebration every year in the in modern age in Antarctica. So because the only people who live down there are researchers, of course, um, in the Southern Hemisphere, they're celebrating midwinter and they have their own little festivities that include special meals, the showing of movies. They make gifts and trade them and do their own version of like Secret Santa and that kind of thing, which I just thought was interesting because it's like I'm as far away from civilization as possible. Still going to celebrate midwinter. <laughs> You know what? You need something to do down there. I have something to do other than look at microscope slides, right? Like ice samples and ice samples. Yeah. Freezing absolute just insane temperatures. And you're dealing with the same like 20 people every day, 24 hours a day. Nope. That's nope. probably the worst part. That's why any any bit of media that's focused on like being stuck. And, and, you know, with the same people. That's why that's so horrifying. Because eventually someone's going to do a murder. <laughs> Just like, I wonder, how, I wonder how many murders have actually happened on ice bases. Oh, God, here we go. There <laughs> yes, it is. No. I'm going to add that to the list of things we look into. <laughs> add that to the list. How many murders have happened in Antarctica and how many people have died on Mount Everest? Does the thing count? Does the thing count? <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Uh, there is uh, this celebration called Soyal. Um, so the Hopi tribes of northern Arizona are believed to be among the descendants of uh, the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Anazazi people. I do believe that's how you say that, who were ancient Native Americans who lived uh, in this part of the world, their history goes back to even past 200 BC, but there were no written records left. So we can only kind of like speculate about what they would do around the winter solstice. So it's, it's figured that a lot of their traditions were wrapped into what the Hopi people now do. Um, so their celebration that's called Soyal is when the sun chief takes on the duties of the Zuni Pequin, which is when you announce the setting of the sun on solstice. And then their celebration takes all night long. So you make fires, you dance, you give gifts. And then traditionally, the Hopi Sun Watcher was not the only like important part of this tradition. 
but they were the one to kick it off. And also his observation of the sun would then let people know uh, how long it would be before they would need to start planting crops again. So it was also tied into their civilization, their agriculture, their just everyday way of life, which I had not seen much in some of the other, because it was always like, oh, the solstice. Okay, now the solstice is done. Back to everything. Back to work. Every, but this is more wrapped up in just their day-to-day -day life. Uh, and then, oh, there's that one. This one from Guatemala was really fun. Um, so there's uh, the Santo Tomas Festival in Guatemala. And even though there is a Feast of St. Thomas that happens, which is headed up by the Catholic Church there, and that happens on July 3rd. Uh, in certain parts of Guatemala, there's still a festival that's celebrated for a week leading up to December 21st. It's kind of a mix of weirdly like Catholic ceremony with native Mayan rituals that have all been timed around December 21st. So there's, of course, food. There's uh, some underlying themes here that we're seeing. There's brightly colored traditional costumes. They make and wear these elaborate masks. There's parades and fireworks and music. And then the big highlight of this, which I was like, no, <laughs> which is incredible to me, is this thing called the flying pole dance. So you climb a 100 foot pole, you tie on a rope and you jump off the top. Yeah. Okay. And anyone can do it. <laughs> and what happens? You just, you hopefully don't fall to your death. Just like some sort of like bungee jumping yeah. thing? Okay. Basically, yeah. yeah. Huh. But with a rope. This sounds safe. No one ever died. Totally fine. <laughs> it's like, man, if you're, you're going to do it, like, yeah, just, just tie a, probably a crusty old rope to the top of a 100 foot pole and see what happens at the bottom. <laughs> like, nope. That's amazing, but nope. <laughs> I don't yeah, like and to then watch there, this, but I would not like to do this. I no, <laughs> that stresses me out. Just thinking about that kind of <laughs> makes me like freak out a little bit, have a, a tiny panic attack. Ugh. I am not as brave as I once was when I was younger. There's no way. Um, roller coasters scare me now. Mm. I know, I know, I know. Uh, there's a really interesting festival in Cornwall, England, called the Montol Festival. So it's actually as close as they can get to a true reinterpretation of ancient Cornish winter traditions. And this has been happening in the town of Penzance for a little over a decade. Uh, you wear these carnival-like costumes. You do a big parade with the lanterns. You create a river of fire meant to uh, celebrate the returning of the sun. And then these people called geysers or people who wear disguises roam the streets and they put on uh, mini plays. They sing songs and they pull pranks. And part of the fun is apparently trying to guess who was who. Uh, <laughs> they still do that. <laughs> I love that. I, I know. I, I was like, oh, that's actually pretty harmless as long as everyone's cool and not being dicks that's kind of fun <laughs> that can be said about pretty much every event <laughs> yep this is true this is true this yep uh and then the one in stonehenge that i talked about earlier so on the winter solstice everyone who is there at the site gets to see 
the uh, sunrise come up through the mysterious stone circle, and the ceremony is led by local pagan and druid groups. We'll so have to ask a- Bran about that. I know, right? I was like, oh, I know exactly what I want to be talking about. <laughs> Part <laughs> of it is is this, because I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I have a picture of this that I want to share, because it's awesome. Just the sight of the sun coming up between the stones is really cool. Where are you? There it is. This is actually from a photographer on Instagram who took a picture of the 2019 celebration. Ooh. Yeah. That does look cool. Looks really crowded, but it looks really cool. Very crowded. Yes. Yeah. And then now times crowds make me want to run the other way. So, uh, but that was last year. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So that happens every year, uh, again, in normal times. And I thought I would end with uh, some tips for celebrating the winter solstice in your home from a druid and pagan website. And how they recommend that you can do this. So you can do a handful of things. And I love every single one of these because they are so sweet. I was just like, oh, this is way better than putting up a plastic tree in the corner. Like, (laughs) I'm all about this. So you can first adorn the home with sacred herbs and colors. This means decorating your home uh, in the holiday colors of red, green, and white, which are the original Druidic holiday colors. You can place boughs of holly, ivy, evergreen, and pine cones around your home especially focused on the places where uh, like meals and socializing and gathering takes place. You can hang a sprig of mistletoe above a major threshold and then leave it there until next winter solstice as a charm for good luck through the year. Mm -hmm. I know. And then you can, if you want to be a little more like crafty, hands-on, you can get the family or household or a friend group together to make your own wreath and then hang it on a door. It doesn't always have to be outside or hang it over an entryway, I should say. And then at the heart of, they specifically talk about the heart of Saturnalia here. Uh, you make a grand feast and everyone participates in that. It isn't one person in the kitchen making the whole thing. Everyone's helping. Also appreciate that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You visit other friends and family. You entertain, you give gifts, and you send special greetings by mail or call people who are in your thoughts. And then you can honor the new solar year with light. So you would do a solstice eve ritual in which you meditate in darkness and then welcome the birth of the sun by lighting candles and singing chants and pagan carols. And especially if you have an indoor fireplace or an outdoor fire circle or burn pit of some kind, you can burn an oak log as a yule log and save a little bit to start next year's yule log fire. That is very wholesome. It's very wholesome. (laughs) It almost cracked my teeth how sweet it was. I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, there are lots of other ones that I took notes on, but I kind of wanted to hit some of the highlights. Um, There's a festival in Japan that's less of like a big celebration and it's more of a traditional practice that's centered on starting the new year with health and good luck. It's called Toji. 
uh, and people light bonfires to encourage the sun's return. And there are even huge bonfires that are lit on Mount Fuji. Which I was like, dang, all right. Sweet. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I know. Uh, and there's a there's a Chinese celebration called Dongzi, which means winter arrives. So as they welcome the return of longer days, uh, and then it's supposed to be uh, corresponding with the increase in positive energy in the year to come. And it only occurs six weeks before the Chinese New Year. So this festival has a lot of its own like really personal significance for most people. And it's believed to be the day where everyone all at the same time gets one year older. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So just some really cool celebrations around the world that in more modern times are tied more with the the way that the sun is supposed to come up the next day and welcoming the return of uh, the slow return of longer days and less about it being tied to a certain holiday or tradition. I appreciate that. I know. I know. And then don't forget to hang the mistletoe and not kiss under it. That's not what it's for. Okay. What's it for? Don't do it. Just luck. No, it's for good luck, and you leave it there for a year. <laughs> so you don't kiss under it then? No. But if you kiss under it, does that thing. give you luck? They were mum on that subject. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We can, we can ask our druid friend. I have no yes. idea. <laughs> so that would be me. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it's my turn now. Hey, yeah. Just opening my notes. All right. So December. Days are short. The weather's cold. Loved ones are on your thoughts. And Christmas is just around the corner. It's the perfect time to grab your bros, dig up a horse skull, tie some ribbons to it, and challenge your neighbors to rap battles for booze and food. This is Mary Lloyd. So Mary Lloyd is, uh, well, it's an adaption of a folk custom of wassailing which is a thing that happens a lot in England. It's um, basically you, it's the old school Christmas caroling of you'd wander around singing for people and they'd give you food or booze or share the drinks with you. So as the feasting of solstice and Christmas move into full swing, Mary Lloyd appears in the darkened streets, her troop who themselves represent the dead guide her to the enticing lights of celebration. They lead a stark white skull of a horse adorned in ribbons, a flowing white gown from her form, and jaws that snap at those whose poetic prowess fail to gain her admiration. She comes from the land of the dead, from the otherworld, a reminder of the function of winter and the mysteries of life, death, and rebirth. And that's written by Christophe Hughes, who's a part of the modern reinvigoration of Mary Lloyd. So... Typically, this custom is performed around Christmas and New Year's in South Wales. This is where it's most prominent. It's definitely like a Welsh tradition that we're dealing with for the most part. There's other things we'll get into later. But on Mary Lloyd nights, um, festivities usually begin around dusk and they last long into the night. People form teams of four to seven, all to spread just to spread holiday cheer. These parties usually consist of one leader, also known as an ostler, who carries a staff or whip, while other members of the party may dress up as merrymen who play music, but one lucky person gets to be the Mary Lloyd. And what does that mean? It means that you get to spend the night under the dress of a decorated horse skull mounted on a pole. These teams roll up to houses where they request entry through the magic of song. This is an example of one of the verses for a song that you may hear. Well, here we come 
innocent friends to ask leave, to ask leave, to ask leave to sing. And that's a translation from Welsh. Um, this is, uh, uh, the, the habits are then expected to then deny entry to the, the party outside, also in song. And this exchange is called poinko, which is you just go back and forth until the house's habits run out of ideas and excuses, at which point they then have to invite the team in where they are applied with ale and food. So really, you just sing back and forth until one of you fails. <laughs> oh my god, it's... it's Yes. Yes! Yes. Uh, but the fun isn't over yet. The Mary Lloyd would then run around the house, neighing and snapping his jaws, creating havoc, frightening women and children, while the leader of the team pretends to try and restrain them so that the Merrymen can play music and get food. With no specific dates, celebrations vary between villages, where in some cases the festivities went on for several consecutive nights, and in other places it's locked down for just the winter season, but is brought out for other holidays like Halloween or May Day. In- having a hard time picturing it let bbc explain it to you in this short clip from 1970 i'm gonna provide you with a link i love this so much already it's so good like hey wear this really long dress but also put a skull on your head great yes i love it this is so good it's so good holy shit I'm into this. It's so good. <laughs> also, let me bring this horse skull into your house. We're going to beat it with sticks. <laughs> oh. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, I didn't know I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here is a, an example of what a modern Mary Lloyd looks like. Oh, wow. So the figure of the Mary Lloyd herself has a tr- transcendent quality. Her operators, sometimes known as writers, talk of becoming the Mary Lloyd. You set aside your own personality as you take up her mantle. Her personality takes over and she enters this plane. As Ned Clamp states, anyone who's had the privilege to don this remarkable guise would certainly agree that you become the Mary. When she's sitting, apparently lifeless, on the study at the back of a car, she's still referred to as her. She is an independent being, someone who is there with you. The Mary Lloyd herself is made up of a couple simple elements. A pole, a horse skull, ribbons to decorate it, and the white sheet that's attached to the back of the head to cover the pole bearer. While traditionally a real horse skull is used, it's common to see replacements made from wood or paper. Sometimes glass or baubles are placed in the sockets to represent eyes, and string is attached to the jaws so that the Mary Lloyd can then snap her teeth together. Traditionally, the construction of the Mary Lloyd is usually a community event where locals all get together and decorate their own Mary Lloyd. Um, so towns usually only have one that represents their area. So there's always the same one that every year. Most use the Mary Lloyd every year, locking her up in a trunk outside of the season. Well, in some places they even bury her only to be unearthed again next winter. So once upon a time, traditions similar to this were popular all over Great Britain with each region kind of having their own twists. Features common to these customs were the use of a hobby horse, which is, um, Basically, a term, or more tag, pagan term for like mascot. So, like an out, it's a outfit or costume that makes you look like an animal. Um, so, you have a team and the performance at Christmas time, and a song or spoken statement requesting payment. From Middle English, Ways Hell, Be in Health, was sailing, was originally a sugared and spiced drink of mulled ale, curdled cream, roasted apples, and eggs. Those who partake partook in sharing a huge bowl of this boozy mixture were wassailing. 
The term itself evolved to describe the custom of begging for booze around Christmas at a time when poor merrymakers expected generosities that they would usually be denied. They'd arrive at the doorstep of their wealthier neighbors and ask for a drink to drink from the wassailing bowl or have their own bowl filled. Modern Welsh wassailing isn't class-based anymore, but the end goal remains the same. Wassailers earn an invitation to come in by proving themselves through a back-and-forth rhyming battle with the residents. Once inside, it's traditional cakes and ale all around. So it's it's kind of like trick-or-treating, <laughs> but for adults with booze. I was just thinking that. I was like, oh my god, this sounds like a party, and someone feeds me cake? I'm down. I'm in. Yeah, and you just basically approve yourself right. as an entertainer to be worthy of being let in to be fed kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... The history of this. So the first record of the holiday by this name appears in 1800. Throughout the years, the practice has had many names, but it is best known by Mary Lloyd. Now, what that exactly means is hotly debated. One side insists that it means Holy Mary and believes that the regions are Christian and had once been part of the festivities of the Feast of the Ass. This is a legitimate holiday. The Feast of the Ass. It is a Christian holiday. The Feast of the Ass. It's a medieval Christian feast that was held on January 14th, celebrating the flight into Egypt, where Joseph, Mary, and Jesus had a dream and got the fuck out of Dodge. So that, <laughs> apparently we don't do this anymore, but that was a very prominent holiday at the time. Another camp says that it simply means Grey Mare. Similar hooded horse traditions in Ireland and the Isle of Man, known as Lerban and Laravain, means White Mare, which further supports this theory. And then there's a third camp that thinks they're both right that the practice predates Christianity only to be renamed in recent centuries in honor of the Virgin Mary and to appease the church, but they have little evidence to support this theory. I would like to propose our first piece of merch, which is a t-shirt that says, bring back the feast of the ass. Yes. (laughs) 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 And let people wonder. (laughs) Oh my God. The questions you'd get asked or not asked. I know. (laughs) Or not asked or asked, I guess. I don't know. So the 1800s is the earliest published account from a man named Jay Evans. He wrote a book. It was just called The Tour Through Part of North Wales in 1798 and other times. Um, And here's a quote from that. A man on New Year's Day dressed himself in blankets and other trappings with a factitious head like a horse and a party attending him, knocking for admittance. This obtained, he runs around the room with an uncommon frightful noise, which the company quit in real or pretended fright. They soon recover, and by reciting verse of some coed or default in paying a small gratuity, they then gain a mission. And here are two pictures from um, the like 1900, somewhere between 1900 to 1914. Um, they weren't sure, but this is like yeah, some old school Mary Lloyd costumes. Um, in 1802, harpist <laughs> Edward Jones of the Marion Shire, I'm going to try and pronounce these fucking English Welsh names, but it's going to be terrible. Um, they published a book where he lamented the impact of Christian preachers were having on Welsh customs, declaring them as sinful. Many suspect the revival of the Welsh Methodists were responsible for the decline of Mary Lloyd and other Welsh customs. Whoa, there's a cat that just ran across the keyboard. Is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> cats yeah so the consequence is that wales which was formerly one of the merriest and happiest countries in the world is now becoming one of the dullest as that quote for the harpist oh that's kind of sad (laughs) 
So in 1804, Jay Evans then went on to elaborate more about the customs of Mary Lloyd um, as he toured for Christmas until after the 12th day is where you'd often see it go and tell. And that they were given food and money to leave the householders alone, essentially. Because it usually was poor people that was doing this, right? They come banging on your door, singing and stuff, like, just give me food and booze. Uh, in a comment in 1852 by Reverend William Roberts, he says uh, that he, they condemned the Mary Lude and other related customs as a mixture of old pagan and pop popish ceremonies. I wish of this folly and all similar follies that they find no place anywhere apart from the Museum of the Historian and Antiquary. An antiquary. Yes. In 1897, a similar custom appears in an account in which an entity known as the Brokaloid, which is grey bogey, was described as it involved an imitation horse's head made from canvas and stuffed with hay, being carried around on a hay fork on Hollow's Eve. Huh. 1930 yeah. <laughs> 1935, an article on the subject of Mary Lloyd by Pete stated that the Trishan still lives on in Cardiff in Glamorgan districts. In 1941, the poet Vernon Watkins published his Ballad of the Mary Lloyd. And here is the introduction. Mary Lloyd, horse of frost, star horse, and white horse of the sea is carried to us. The dead return. Those exiles carry her. They who seem holy and have put on corruption. They who seem corrupt and have put on holiness. They strain against the door. They strain towards the fire which fosters and warms the living. The living who have cast them out from their own fear, from their own fear of themselves, into the utter loneliness of death, rejected them, and cast them out forever. The living cringe and warm themselves by the fire, shrinking from loneliness and singleness of heart. The living are defended by the rich warmth of the flames, which keeps that loneliness out. Terrified, they hear the dead tapping at the panes. Then they rise up, armed with the warmth of firelight and the condition of scorn. It is New Year's light. Midnight is burning like a taper. In an hour, in less than an hour, it was blown out. It is the moment of conscience. The living moment and the dead moment. So this is like a multi-page ballad. Um, like this is just the intro piece, but there's it. It's extremely long, very well written. It's very and is you know held up as a piece of really Welsh culture and really a big part of what Marylloyd is today. And as you can see, this that does sound like a lot of pagan details in there it's like you know we're talking about the dead we're talking about balance of nature and warmth and but also like there's just kind of calling people out <laughs> of like yeah you huddle away on your warm warm fires and away from the people that you've rejected just because you don't like them and you know on this holiday you have to you have to let them in you have to take care of your neighbors kind of thing being kind to people what are we supposed to right? do that hold on Oh, fucking new. <laughs> but I have rights. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Uh, sorry. So, <laughs> just had to no, no, don't apologize. <laughs> we were probably all in some form of that. We were just like, God damn it. So, in 1967, Lois Blake published a letter in the journal English Dance and Song in which she noted that a Mary Lloyd appeared each Christmas Eve at the Barrelimo Inn in Greg Penland near, near Cowbridge where a man named John Williams had kept the custom alive for the past 60 years. Blake also explained that, that she believed the custom was still performed at several villages in Maesteg area of Glamorgan. The church tried real fucking hard to kill this. So like in like the early 1920s, up until like the 1940s or so, but everywhere that 
you know, the church was aware of this stuff, they were crushing it down as much as possible. But there are a few areas that managed to hold the tradition on nonstop, completely unbroken. Um, a lot of these areas are within Glamorgan, which is a part of uh, Wales. But there are other couple small towns that managed to keep pockets of it. In 1980, Mick Thames noted that the custom had reestablished herself so strongly that there are complaints if she misses any of her regular calls. So yeah, in the 1980s, we began to see a rise again um, as people began to remember their kind of roots and stuff like that. In 1991, Hutton believed the custom reemerged in the borderlands between Vale and the mountains, in part because people of Glamorgan sought to reaffirm their senses of cultural identity during the termination of their traditional industries. And in 2000, the town council of Aberystwyth organized the world's largest Mary Lloyd for the millennium celebration in 2000. So it's made a huge resurgence in the last couple decades. Um, there are people like who have been doing it forever or have, you know, it's been passed down in generations. And we also have um, young people that have come up who didn't have it growing up at all, who have taken interest in trying to bring this culture back to the Welsh people. So the original intentions and meaning of this festivity is debated. One researcher believes that it was spawned from a pagan ritual and that Mary Lloyd is a death horse. She believes it was the mark of the festival of Samhain, which is Halloween. Another says that Mary Lloyd is an ancient character that was once a bringer of fertility. But all of this could be hogwash. In the 1970s, folklorists were cautioned against continuing the assumption that all hobby horse traditions were pagan. So who knows? The horse, and especially the white horse, has always been an iconic place in mythology and consciousness of the islands of Britain. Think of the chalk-cut horses in Downs, Orianian in the Mag Mabinagi, and identified scholars with the horse goddess Epona, or the traditional taboo in Britain against e eating horse meat, let alone their many folk, custom folk customs. The practice of animal masks and costumes, sometimes known as guising or mumming, has records in Europe all the way back to the 6th century. St. Augustine of Hippo spoke out against the practice of men dressing as women and their unconfirmed claims that he felt the same way about people dressing like a horse or a stag. And this is from the guy lived between from 354 to 430. In 1263, mumming was banned in Troyes. Wooden horses were popular at Rebels of Christmas time during the 16th century, and a pole with a horse head were constructed as described by David Lindsay in Linthengau in his 1540 book satire of three estates a depiction of morris dancers and hobby horses can be seen in detail in the thames of richmond with old with the old royal palace so i have some or uh, some art here that's also that's from historical times that show similar looking festivities oh wow oh those are cool holy crap yeah so like the first oh. one i believe is from um 1200 and the other one's from 1620 okay so clearly, like this idea of dressing as animals has been long ingrained in the Britain history. Whether or not this was specifically for events like Mary Lloyd, it's hard to say. We do know that there was a lot of similar things, but if that is where this come from, we can't, we don't really know for certain. Yield time furries. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's just furry con. Uh, so one piece of art. Archaeological evidence seems to clearly illustrate the importance of the horse to people throughout history, that of sacrificial horses buried in Indo-European and Eurasian cultures. 
we see a much higher frequency of horse burials than any other livestock, indicating a higher status in society. One possible expl explanation is the perception that horses represent the line between wild and settled worlds, between life and death. In Ireland, horse, horse skulls have been found under houses, dating from the 15th and 16th century. But it's not just in Ireland that this has been seen. They've also, they've also seen some in England. They've been, they've found, there's at least 54 cases found in England and 27 found in Wales. In 1965, Mrs. M.S. Brown found a skull under the floorboards of her 17th century house in Wales. She wrote a letter to the Folklore Journal saying that she had no idea what it was or why it was there. <laughs> I love that. I don't know what this is, but it's under my house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there, there have been recent suggestions that the skulls were buried under houses for luck. Um, Eamon P. Kelly, as a retired keeper of Irish antiquities at the National Museum of Ireland, he writes in Archaeology Ireland that horses have been credited with the ability to see ghosts and other evil spirits, and this may account for the practice of placing a horse skull or skulls beneath a flagstone next to the hearth. This would align with the global foundation rituals and concealments, a practice that dates back to ancient times. Sometimes this meant this has meant hiding shoes and chimneys to attract and trap witches, or as most often seen in the UK and Australia, positioning mummified cats in the walls, sometimes posed with dead prey to make them extra powerful against spirits. Oh. So, and those skulls in Ireland, well, there may be a much more practical use. Acoustics. The large volume of the skull is made an ideal sound box that added resonance to the sound of dancing feet. This is Barry O'Reilly in the Proceedings of the Royal Irish Academy. And Sean McMahon Sean McMuth Gamahan of County Clare, he stated, I used, I used, I used here. I used to hear the pe old people say that it was put there for the purpose of giving a fine, hearty echo and the house and the house when people would be talking or walking inside, but particularly they put the head with the coppers in the floor so that their dancing would sound better for the old people were all, all for sport. So the Irish just like dancing. So they put horse skulls on their floors. Of course they did. Um, yeah, and so yeah, sometimes the skulls were packed with coins as well, and that's also supposed to help with the sound. Um, County Kerry came a tale of a horse skull installed under a bridge to give it a clear echo. In County Wexford, skulls were reportedly placed below church altars to help the preacher be heard all over the church. In some churches, up to 20 of these heads were found buried together. There is evidence of acoustical horse skull used beyond Ireland, including around the UK and in Scandinavia. And when people from these places immigrated to the United States, they brought these traditions with them. Historian M. Chris Manning relates in the historical archaeology of the case of a skull found in a house in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. In its eye socket was a bit of paper with the names of the family of Colonel David Mason Bryant, who moved to the home in 1848. So imagine like renovating your house and finding a horse there, a horse, horse skull with a name of like a list of family members of the piece of paper rubbed in its eye. I would be. I would actually be like, oh my god. I've been cursed. I've been I don't know about that. It's better than finding like a you know, people used to write family trees in the front of Bibles. I'd rather find a horse a horse gall. That's dope. <laughs> so later ban, which is the Irish custom that's very similar to my airloid, in Cork, it's um it, as a quote is, it's not many years since on Sam Samhain's Eve, 31st October, a rustic procession preambled the district between Ballycotton and Trabalgan along the coast. At the head of the procession was a figure enveloped in a white robe or sheet, having, as it were, the head of a mare. This personage was called the Laird of Anne, the White Mare. 
he was sort of a pre- he was sort of a president master of ceremonies and a long string of verses were recited at each house so this is recorded um from 1853 and that this has been going on for a while there in Ireland. so it's a very similar hobby or very similarly similar con- celebration that may just have been spread between like nord cultures that traveled through the area and was how it wound up in Wales as well. And there's such similar things on man as well as in Ireland. In the 19th century, a Baptist minister called William Roberts attempted to bring an end to what he perceived as a pagan practice. He authored a book called something in Irish uh, religion of the dark age. And in it gave a detailed account of the Mari and over 40 verses of the songs um, associated with her. He hoped that this would enable the congregation to identify the Mari tradition and put a stop to it. It had the opposite effect. The Welsh seized the material and devoured it hungrily. The Mari was revived rather than suppressed. The poor man must be spinning in his grave. So here's a material meant to ban this thing and it's actually just encouraged it. Alright, so we cannot prove that if Mari is a direct link to this Celtic past or if that she's a remnant of actual pre-Christian tradition, but this does not matter. What matters is the manner of which that we make her relevant today. She brings another level of magic and wonder, awe and joy to the glorious celebrations at the heart of winter. So today, the strongest and most unbroken Marylude is in Langwynid in South Wales, but elsewhere the re-established traditions go back several decades, and it's coming back even more. Uh, Track, which is a folk development for Wales kind of committee that's volunteers trying to bring back old folk traditions, they have a project officer named Engelhard Jenkins who travels around the country delivering workshops to schools and community groups about the Marilloid and explaining what the tradition was all about. And he's partnered with some artists to make like a little booklet about the history. And it, it also comes with a book, or also comes with like a flat pack to make a paper skull of your own horse. So it's just like one of those kids toys of like paper and stuff. You could just puzzle it together and it makes a 3D like skull. So those have been started to come out more and they were seeing more of the Marilloid. So the track has worked with over 400 children on this project so far. Um, Marilloid today is usually both a reenactment and a revival. The party Mary no longer is made exclusively of men. Historically, the party that accompanies Mary is always men, but not so much anymore. They're letting women in now because, you know, modern times. Um, we also have occasions where there's been more than one Mary, maybe l- lots more than one present. 34 at the Chepstow with Sale and Mary Lloyd in 2019. While the tradition was fading, even in the 19th century, there were calls for its revival that were being made as early as the 1930s. But social media and information technology has changed everything, getting people more interested in the custom than ever, not just in Wales, but across the globes. Marty parties are active throughout Wales with n- new ones coming up every year. The winter, however... This winter, however, Wales has seen a rather different-looking Mary Lloyds going on, such as the Camarthen Mary, or rather Mary Trollog, as, as they have LEDs and flashing lights, and others have spray-painted in gold. And communities and schools across the country get those specially designed flat packs and have been spotted joining in, in the havoc. So, yeah, their take this has come back, and it's also come back in as like an art form. Uh, people have taken this as a good opportunity to be creative and. One thing I found was that each horse seems to have its own name for its community. And it's a character. These characters all have different personalities and 
the way they act and perform and how they look is unique to them. So this is one here. This is the Mary Leg. So um, she has like red spirals painted on her face, um, big globes in her eyes with like red, white, and green ribbons sprayed into her mane. That's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, this is some quotes from Vivian Larcher. Um, this is her ostler or her leader. So people are becoming more interested because they are becoming more aware. Actually, this time of year, people sometimes aren't very happy because they're worrying about Christmas. They're worrying about what they're going to spend. But we don't do any of that. We're busy with the Mary. We've become more and more aware. And we see people coming here stressed out on their phones. And when they start to get a bit, but when they start to get a bit dirty or do the fire or get some mud on them, we do see a difference. And we have a lot of young people. It's all mixed. It's all together. And this seems to be a celebration that's spreading across all generations. Freaking love that. Oh my gosh. Um, this is a Mary by Christophe Hughes. Hughes. Um, he was the one that I read his thing at the very beginning there. So she is bridled with shadows and saddled with song. And now she has come knocking at your door. Will you heed that knocking? Will you help? to bring back the Mare Queen of Winter to sing their songs of bardic wit, to ablate her with the offerings, to invite mystery into the warmth of good company. One of the most powerful reasons for reviving these old traditions is because they work. They do something to the internal constitution of a community. They allow expressions of music, song, and poetry. They bring people together in a manner that may be too subtle for to be adequately articulated. They cause us to remember something of our deep past. And this is an excerpt from... Uh, big uh, write-up that Christopher Hughes did on his Facebook a while back talking about the, the event and what it means. Oh, wow. Now here's a bunch of horses. Um, this one couple has made many over the years. They all have different names. Um, pictures you can see them and their names. Um, so John Exton is one of the uh, creators of these horses and his quote is, we are not pagans. We touch all religions and we see beliefs as a fusion of religions. Some see the Mary as a puppet and a performer's work of art. We try to get into the mindset of the horse and let it speak to us and move accordingly. When you dress and put on the skull and garments, you assume the spirit of the horse. Traditionally, Marys are locked away in chests and suitcases after festivities have ended in January. In the Gower Peninsula, the skull was buried in January and exhumed the following December, emphasizing on rebirth or resurrection. Celeste and Saren are part of our household, and they remain on their stands throughout all seasons. We talk to them, we stroke them, and they are bone sisters to my two daughters. That's a term that a lot of these writers and team leaders use is bone sisters from referring to other Marys. Um, there are a couple big festivals now that happen where uh, many Marys attend and it's a kind of a celebration of all these old Welsh traditions. And so <laughs> you get to meet these other Marys as a Mary and these characters become friends. It's kind of just like a folk LARPing. <laughs> yeah. But these are beautiful. Absolutely fucking gorgeous. Wow. Oh my god. Uh, Black diamond. Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How cool. And like that one was made specifically for um a festival that that's the only time it comes out. This is like a big the one of the bigger festivals that's held every year. Yeah, and so like there's a core group of people here that really are making really pushing for this to get bigger. These three people that I've talked about, uh, they run a website. They have like a whole database of all the different people that they know of who has a Marioid, what the character is, who the owner is, how to contact them kind of thing. And on their database, there's not just people like 
in Wales that you'd expect or England. There's people in Australia and the US now that have joined in on this. And they're doing a lot of work to bring it back and make people aware. They have a big Facebook group where they um, talk about construction and share events and details and stuff like that just to celebrate the appreciation of this, which I got led into. So I'm excited about that. Oh my gosh. I want to go. Whilst we have may have lost the actual meaning of the Mary Lou tradition, to be near her is to sense the mystery that she expresses. There is undeniable magic to her presence that seems to tease a long lost me- long lost memories hid in the depths of our cultural memory. The, t- the folk traditions of Wales have embraced the Mary. To be in her presence is to be lost in the magic of song and poetry. Battles of Bardic Wick take place between the Mary party and those who occupy the homes and taverns that she visits. Lose the battle and she gains entry into the warmth of company where chaos ensues. She reminds us of misrule and the social norms and, and social norms are suspended. And that within the joyfulness of celebration, there lurks a human desire to suppress the, anxi- the anxiety that winter instills. Yeah, so that's my lid. I've got a couple extra pictures I'll show you guys. I cannot express how much I love this. Right. So cool. I went around and like once I started realizing there was a bunch of different characters, I started like on the website that I was going to, I was like collecting them and their names and made a bit of a, like I found like 40 of them. Whoa. All right. So cool. Also, horse skulls are amazing. Right. right? They're so terrifying. And like terrifying. some are super simple. Then they get the more elaborate ones, the more traditional ones. It's just super fascinating. Yeah, I I am into this. This is I just keep staring at these ones that 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 couple made because it's like they look yeah. like parade decorations like. And that's kind of what it is. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that art. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. There's a lot of art, art that's been inspired by the um, celebrations. And this is the flat pack that you can buy that to like, you know, build your own <laughs> Mary. And it looks pretty awesome. That's so cool. That's awesome. We should build one. We should I have a heck one. One. Um, The packs are about $48 and that's we'd have to ship it from Wales and that's in pounds. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Probably still worth it. Fuck it, let's go out and find our own horse I, skull. I put, I put a horse skull on my wish list. I don't know if you saw. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, I'll just share a couple more of my favorites with you. <gasps> Holy shit. Oh. Wow. That's Penkaville. That's Morvog the Seahorse. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. This is a uh, Mary... Trick Upper of Coppertown. Oh, that's a dope photo. That is a good photo. This is oh. one from one of the big festivals. Um, God, what is it called? It's something like a dark gather. It's called. I think it's called the Dark Gathering or something like that. They they happens every year, and all these performers come out. Like everyone's dressed in these elaborate costumes that are part of this big entertainment procession, are all around the Marys, and like children come, and everyone just comes and watches it and participates. Like it is like a big parade slash celebration. Very cool. That's cool. This is a mini Mary. Oh. Oh, Aww. it looks like a puppet. Love it. Okay, but is that a real skull? <laughs> no. Not like a baby goat skull? No. That's kid. Oh. That's pretty cool. That's cool, yeah. This is Delilah. Shut up. What? Holy moly. This is Bronwyn. That's cool. Oh, and you brought up Penswood. Pen- Penzance, didn't you? Oh, Penzance? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
this is the Mary of that town. Oh, look at that. Oh, nice. Look at those LARPers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, and the and the geysers, too. Yeah. So, and this yeah. is Calamari, which is the Californian oh, Mary. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's Mary Lloyd. That's awesome. It's so cool. No joke. I would... I, I would go for that and then just stay afterwards. And people would be like, why are you going to Wales? I'm like, one, Wales, two, there's this horse skull thing. <laughs> Let me try to explain this. <laughs> but hold up. There's this really cool thing. You're probably going to be freaked out. So That link I just shared is All Hell is Gathering. That's the big one that I was telling you about. So if you go there, there's like billions of pictures. And it looks like so much fun. Oh, wow. So it's allhallowsgathering.com. The links, of course, will be on the website in our show notes. Yeah, I've been trying to tell like people about this. Like, this is so cool. They like carry your horse skull around, and it's like a celebration. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? But when you actually see it, like it, it is an art form, and like it yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I got completely sucked in. Like, this is amazing. I want this Merch, so much. Badges and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. T-shirts. Everything you need. Oh my god! Incredible. Um, and they since obviously they couldn't do their celebration this year, um, they did an online version. They had like everyone come oh. together on like Zoom calls. <laughs> That's really cool. Some merchandise can also be bought direct from the Museum of Witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, the, they um, also have an agreement <laughs> with the Museum of Witchcraft. Hell yeah! Whole big ass episode just on witchcraft stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's MaryLloyd.co.uk. That is the um, pretty much the site of people that are gathering together and forming um, like a group of people around this that coordinate and stuff. Like, because many towns don't have their own Mary, um, the celebration long died out there, but they want to, so they may reach out to these groups and like, hey, can you come out this year? <laughs> oh, okay. Because otherwise, you're not supposed to go. Like, if you have a Mary and you know that there's a celebration happening in another town, you're not supposed to go unless you have permission. Because otherwise, like, you're impeding on that Mary's territory. Oh, interesting. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> that brings us to the end of another episode. We hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, Nathan will be telling us about Iceland's Christmas witch, Gryla, her 13 children, and her giant cat that eats bad dressers. That episode will be up on December 24th. As always, you can find all links, notes, pictures, and resources mentioned in the episode at thehumanexception.com, which I highly recommend you check out so you can see some of those amazing Marys that I was talking about. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception to stay up to date with all comings and goings. And feel free to reach out to us to correct our mistakes, provide additional information, suggest stories, or even just to say hi. You can reach us through our social media or send us an email at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Happy holidays, my humans, and we'll chat again soon.